0: Well, David wasn't certain uh, how jet-lagged he would be this morning, so I am going to offer a short little mini-message about the Lord's Supper. But he's here. He's jet-lagged. And so protecting himself, we'll all go ahead and still cover this, but we're glad that he's back. And for those of you who were here last week, know that Leonard gave us a wonderful message about who Jesus is. And so I've taken two inspirations from Leonard, One of them is that I'm going to also preach on who Jesus is. And the second one is I'm also not going to put up notes on the screen. What are you all going (laughs) to do? Let's see how this goes. Leonard gave us a message about making sure that we understood who Jesus really is, not who we want him to be or who other people tell us he should be, but actually looking into the Bible and seeing who Jesus really is in the Bible. And he gave us the task of reading through the Bible, writing down every verse in the Bible that has something to do with Jesus, writing it down, and he said it would take us 10 pages to do it. I don't see how we could do that in just 10 pages, but... Let's go with it. Ten pages. And then what he said you do is you read those ten pages over and over again and you begin to get a picture of who Jesus is. And that sounds about right. But there are a whole bunch of things that Jesus has given us to help us learn who he is even beyond just reading through the Bible over and over again. And one of those ways is the Lord's Supper. And that's what we celebrate today. And what I really wanted to do was just make sure we all understood the connection between the Lord's Supper and Jesus. And you say, well, we've done this many, many times. You said uh, David just preached a sermon series on this. It was a little more than a year ago. whole series on the Lord's Supper. Why do we repeat things? Because we need to. Kids aren't going to say, you know, we celebrated my birthday last year, so I'm good. (laughs) I'm covered now. No, we repeat things. Why do we repeat things? It's a reminder to ourselves how important they are, but it's also a refresher to our brains of what it is that we're doing. And God himself says of the Passover, which we'll talk about, that was something that was to be a lasting ordinance, something that they did year after year after year, and then Jesus, with the lord 's Supper, says, "You do this in remembrance of me we don 't remember Jesus once. we remember it all the time, but then he throws in something like this to do this this shot of remembrance into our brains and into our bodies so that we can remember what it is that Jesus did for us and Ben mentioned one of the I am statements. Jesus told us who he is, and it is in the Bible, and we recommend reading the Bible and knowing what they are. And there are seven great I am statements in the Gospel of John. John was a brilliant writer. He knew how to put things together. That first one is that I am the bread of life, from John 6.35, that as bread sustains physical life, he offers us to sustain our spiritual lives. But he also said I am the light of the world. In John 8:12, to a world lost in darkness, Jesus is the guide on how to get home safe. He said I am the door, the gate for the sheep. John 10:7. That Jesus protects his followers just as a shepherd would protect his flock from a predator. Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life. John 11.25 Death is not the final word for everyone in Christ. He said, I am the good shepherd. John 10.11 Jesus is committing to caring and watching over all who are His. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14.6 He is the source of all truth, all knowledge of God and salvation. And He said, I am the true vine. John 15.1 it is only in attaching ourselves to Jesus that we can have the actual life of God flowing through us. And then we cannot help but bear fruit. Fruit that remains. Fruit that honors God. So Jesus told us who he is. And he did do so. And littered wants us to be reading that so that we can be reminded of that over and over again. But Jesus also showed us who he is. And that's part of the passage that Leonard preached from last Sunday in Matthew 2. Remember that John is in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus and uh, they asked him, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor told the good news. And blessed is the one who doesn't fall away or is offended or is scandalized by me. So he showed us who he is by doing these things. He was demonstrating to John's followers, this is what the Messiah does. This is what I have done. Therefore, I am the Messiah. Now, Leonard said that he thought that it was because John himself His faith was shaken. And that could be the case. I think it more likely that John's disciples' faith was shaken. John was the greatest man of that old age. No one ever walked the earth like John the Baptist. But then Jesus says that even he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. But John the Baptist was a key figure for Jesus. And it was important to Jesus to tell John and his followers, look at what I do and know that I am he. But uh, he also gave us a few other things. In John chapter 2, there's the first time that Jesus goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables and he's cracking whips on people. You guys remember that story. And the Jews asked him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? What did Jesus answer? He answered, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Now, it's early on in John's message, so he gives us some help. And he goes on to say, the Jews said that this temple took 46 years to build. You're going to raise it up in three days. But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body so that when he did rise from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture. You want to know who Jesus is? Jesus says, I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. That's how you will know who I am. And indeed, he did. But here's the fun thing. Jesus goes back to the temple a few years later. This is the last time. This is the last week of his earthly life. And this is reported in Matthew 21. And the same thing happens. And the chief priests and the elders of the people come to him and say, By what authority are you doing these things? You're turning our temple upside down. Why are you the one thinking that you can do this? And this time Jesus answers with a question of his own. And he asks them, John's baptism, again, going back to John again, was it from heaven or from earth? And the guys say, well, we can't answer it was from heaven because then Jesus will have us. But we also can't answer it's from earth because the people actually believe that John is a prophet. So we're going to say we don't know. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do things either. And so by his withholding of the answer, he demonstrated to the world who he was. And yet again, it goes back to baptism. There are two things that Jesus gave us to be reminded, to remind ourselves who he is, what he came to do, and what he has done for us. We call them ordinances, and you might think of it as the same idea as orders. They are things that Jesus ordered us to do. There are two of them. One of them is baptism. And you think about Jesus' own baptism. When John saw him coming, what did John say of Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then in the baptism itself, what happens? God also speaks. The voice from heaven saying, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then there's the imagery of baptism itself. Something that I don't think we can say enough to be reminded. Why why are we Baptists who emerge? That is the image of baptism. When you are under the water... You have no hope of life in yourself unless you were raised back up to take your next breath. That's an intentional symbol. We die to our old self. And we were raised again to our new self in Jesus Christ. And that's also the way that we think of it as Repeating what Jesus Himself did. He died on the cross. He was buried. And then the third day, God raised him from the dead. All of that in baptism. All of that, we hear who. The people said Jesus is, the Lamb of God, who God says Jesus is, the Son of God, and what Jesus came to do, to die and to be raised again, so that we too can die and be raised again. Christ the first fruits, and then all those in Christ to follow. That's what we get in baptism. Think of it as a sermon done really quickly, a visual sermon. It's wonderful. But he gave us a second one as well, and that is the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. You guys know this because we've said it over and over again. It's rooted in the old Passover. And so now we can actually get into those questions that you have written down. Uh, I didn't give you any room at all to take notes in anything that I just said. So that was probably not a great idea on my part. But I did give you a question for this next part, which is, what is a Passover lamb? And that takes us back to Exodus chapter 12. And I'm going to read for you a few verses from Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they can share it with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all of the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over this fire along with bitter herbs and bread made from non-yeast do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water but roasted over the fire head legs inner parts do not leave any of it until morning if some is left till morning you must burn it and this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand eat it in haste it is the lord's passover because on that night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. What is a Passover lamb? Passover lamb was an actual substitute for that family. For a price that was going to be paid in Egypt for the sin and idolatry and paganism of that land, God was going to punish them. And God said, But you take a lamb. Slaughter that lamb. Put the blood on your door. And when I see it, I will pass over your home and I will spare everyone inside. Not just any lamb, but a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb, a lamb that was innocent, a lamb that was beautiful, a lamb that had nothing to do with the horrible judgment that was to come, a shame. That the people's sin would cost this creature its life. David has pointed out to us a very helpful little uh, unplanned image for us. That when the shepherds came to the manger and they saw the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, they would have immediately thought of actual Passover lambs. Those were the lambs that were raised in the fields out near Bethlehem. They were raised to be killed for the sins of the people. So in many ways, we see that from the beginning of his life, the image is very clear. Jesus is the Passover lamb for us. So now let's ask the question, why was Passover then so important to Jesus? Let me read for us from Luke chapter 22 again. Passover was the most important event in the history of Israel. They found their identity in the exodus from slavery in Egypt. And they were told to continuously celebrate the Passover. This day is to be a memorial to you, God said. A permanent statute And they had, unfortunately, not a good history of keeping up with it. There are plenty of times in the Bible where they said, oh, the Passover, we should keep that this year. Let's do it. It's disappointing that they did not because of how important it was for the people remembering who they were and what price was paid that they might be freed from slavery. So in verse 14 of Luke chapter 22, you've heard this. Let's hear it again. Jesus said to his apostles, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Why was he so eager? Because the Passover represents God's love for his people. God willing to go to any length, bring down a plague on the nations of the earth to save his people. God loves His people. God is committed to His promises. And nothing that we do can keep Him from keeping them. But what's so great about it is that the Lord's Supper is also a picture of salvation that is given to us. Jesus says in verse 19, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says in verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His body actually given for us on the cross, his blood actually spilled for us on the cross. This new covenant points to what God said in Jeremiah 31. You heard it, hear it again. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. That covenant that they broke. Instead, this will be a covenant that I put in their minds and right on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor saying, know the Lord because they will all know me. This is what the Lord says. I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That is what Jesus did in the Lord's Supper. He took all the promises of the Old Testament and said, they are now fulfilled. But we know how, because we're on this side of it, that He was our Passover lamb. He died in our place for the sins that we've committed. You've heard that given in the children's sermon, you've heard that in the songs that we've sung. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. We're saying that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. And so then the question is, what does the Lord's Supper mean to us today? And it means what we think it means. When Jesus says, this is my body, he is reminding us that he is that Passover lamb. He is perfect, spotless, innocent. But He was slaughtered for the people. Who needed a Passover lamb? Every family in Israel was called to have their own Passover lamb. And if they were a small family, they could share. It's not waste. Jesus is the one Passover lamb for all people. All families of all time. He was able to pay that price infinitely. He said it was given For you. You've heard it said that nobody took Jesus' life, but he gave it willingly. That's because that's true. He could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have said, enough of this. We're starting over. All humans are done. But he didn't. He gave his life on the cross. And Jesus says to do this in remembrance of me. This is our memorial. This is our lasting ordinance. But know that it is not a permanent statute. The wording is important. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You've heard it said in Isaiah chapter 53. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquity. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We were the sheep that went astray. We all turned to our own way and the Lord punished him For the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. But he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to slaughter. And a sheep is silent before her shearers. So he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Assigned a grave with the wicked But he had done no violence. He had not spoken deceitfully. So one more passage to read. And then we actually share then the Lord's Supper together. And that is the way that Paul introduces it to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 23. Where Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread And he also added this phrase, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So when we take the Lord's Supper, what it means for us is that we look back. We look back every time we see the bread, every time we see the cup, that our salvation came at a cost. Paul says this very clearly. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. In your bodies. And when we see this, we remember the price that was paid. We are not our own anymore. But we also look forward. There is a day when we will no longer share the Lord's Supper. Because there's a day when Jesus is coming back, and there around the wedding feast of the Lamb, we will eat with Him. No longer will we need the image, the reminder. Because then we will see him face to face. The next chapter after Isaiah 53 is Isaiah 54. In Isaiah 54, hear what it says, starting in verse 9. This is like the day of Noah to me. What God says when I swore that the water of Noah would never again flood the earth. And so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you forever, though the mountains move and the hills shake. My love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord, poor Jerusalem, storm tossed, not comforted. I will set your stones in mortar. I will lay your foundations in lapis lazuli. I will make your fortifications out of rubies, your gates out of sparkling stone, and all your walls out of precious stones. And then all your children will be taught by the Lord, and their prosperity will be great. And you will be established on a foundation of righteousness, far from oppression. You will not be afraid. You will be far from terror. It will not come near you. And so there's our summary. Because it's related to Passover, we are reminded that Jesus is our Passover lamb. But He is the one and final Passover lamb for all people in all times. In the bread, we remember that Jesus physically gave his life for us. In the cup, we remember that Jesus suffered for us. And when we remember what Jesus said and did, we also look forward to the day that he comes back. Is that an amazing sermon that we hear every time the Lord's Supper is shared? But about that banquet, and this will be my invitation, my reminder that when Paul says, examine yourself, he wants us to know that we are right with one another and with God before we take this. That wedding feast that Jesus talks about, he actually tells a parable about it in Matthew chapter 22. I highly recommend that you all read it. And eventually... This king goes out and invites everybody, just brings everybody in. This invitation is for everybody. We want anybody to come in. And the wedding feast was filled with guests. And then the king came in and saw this guest, and he saw this man there who wasn't dressed for the wedding. And he asked the guy, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king told his attendants, well, tie him up. Throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many have been invited. Everybody in this room has been invited to share the wedding feast of the Lamb. And there are a lot of people that are going to show up. I guess a lot of people who go to church are going to show up at this feast. All right, here we go. I know what's going on. I'm in. But have you actually accepted the king's invitation? This is a cool thing about that day, because not everybody who was going to come to a feast would own the clothes necessary to fit in. And so the king, or the master, the ruler, whatever role he played in society, would often send a garment along with the invitation, saying, this "Is that you're supposed to show up? Then you'll fit in, you'll be right. All the people had to do was, "Great, I'll put this on. I'm going to show up. We're in business." This guy didn't. just showed up. What garments are we going to wear? Now, Paul talks about it, our own life, we're putting on Christ. And that's what we're realizing is actually the, the meaning here. Are you going to show up before God in your own self? Or are you going to show up before God as a child of God, a brother of Christ? Will you accept this invitation and allow Jesus' righteousness to be yours? I'm going to let or ask David, if he would, to stand. We're about to uh, have this type of invitation. If you don't know that you are a child of God, if you don't know that you are right for this Lord's Supper, I'd ask you to come forward and talk to him. The rest of us, who knows what that response is that we need to make. But if we would, let's pray and then let's stand together and respond. Lord God, we thank you for the symbol of the Lord's Supper. And we thank you that every time we take this, we remember what you've done. And we are reminded of what you've done. And I pray that in this time now, you will lead our hearts to be so thankful for all you've done. And if anybody here has never accepted the gift of your invitation of salvation, I pray that they will come talk to David right now. Deal with this right now. That everybody who leaves here will know that they will share the wedding feast of the Lamb for all eternity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's...